Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 146. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. I pray that it's a blessing. Uh, Today we'll be uh, doing a a teaching that I've titled In the Spirit. Um, Before I jump right in, I want to remind you uh, to have the opportunity if you'd like to reach out and request specific topics or scriptures that you would like maybe um, detailed or discussed, uh, please do so. Send me an email, the Bible Study Podcasts, that's the title of the podcast, at gmail.com. Uh, any either encouragement or uh, feedback, suggestions, ideas, I'd be happy to check those out there. And uh, again, too, on the description show notes, there are links to the paperbacks, uh, books, and Kindles that I've released, uh, four of them there. So that's available as well as uh, you can follow uh, on Facebook. There's a link to that, the Bible Study Podcasts, uh, with website, a pod, pod page link there as well. So thanks for taking the time, and uh, we will just jump right into this one. So, as I said, the title of this is In the Spirit. Um, This actually was a teaching that I gave at my local church, and um, so I pray that it's encouraging. It is one that I believe you would benefit from listening to multiple times, Um, not that you don't have the capacity to catch everything that's there. It's just a a very thorough and thought-provoking, so I pray that um, it does that very thing. provokes you to thought, um, stretches your capacity. I know it certainly did mine as I was putting it together and just trying to be obedient to what the Lord was wanting to show in this particular moment. So this phrase of in the Spirit is one that has caused me much pondering. Now here I want to highlight some key scriptures that maybe sends you on a quest to seek to understand more accurately what is meant by the phrase, in the Spirit. Now, just a disclaimer up front, this is not the end-all definition, but rather a component into the mystery of the ever-growing revelation of the triune Godhead, that is to say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So any valuable revelation here is the result simply of the grace God has bestowed for me to share. Now I've had the inclination to view this phrase in the Spirit to mean something along the lines of me and Christ and Christ and me, some version or form of the abiding internal presence of the Spirit of God. Now, on the surface, I don't have much against this perspective. In fact, it's one that I've held really always uh, until just recently. But I've began to notice that that sole perspective doesn't exactly hold water when it's pressurized on its own. 
So let me illustrate. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it. If not, just listen. Um, the mobility of podcasting is, is wonderful. So Matthew 22, 41 through 46. I'll be reading here out of the ESV. It says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. When Jesus is quoting what David said, this is actually from Psalm 110 verse 1. This is subtle but important. Jesus told us that David said this, quote, in the Spirit. Now, if you study this out some, which I hope you will, but depending on the translation that you use, they will say, by the Spirit, which is the NIV, in the New King James Version, as well as the ESV, it uses the phrase, in the Spirit. And then the King James Version actually just says, in Spirit. But forsaking argument and for the purposes of this study, which the Lord is highlighting the phrase in the Spirit, the subtlety is how can David, prior to the indwelling Spirit of God, be saying this, quote, in the Spirit? If that phrase is to be understood solely from the perspective of the abiding internal presence of God, like I pointed out earlier, it was my perspective before. Do you see the issue of holding to this previous paradigm? If, if what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two forty-three, quote, he said to them, how is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord. If in the Spirit means the indwelled Spirit of God, David is on the other side of the cross. He is yet to receive the Spirit unlike those who received on this side of the cross. Now, when I say this side of the cross, I mean after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the pouring out of the Spirit of God. You see, David, David was on the not yet side of the cross. So this begs the question, what does Jesus mean when he says that David said this in the Spirit? And one step further, what are the implications of that possibility in the statement as it relates to you and I who are on this side of the cross? Now, we may not have time to turn to each scripture, but more so I find it important for you to listen with open ears. Rather than work my way up to my conclusion statement, I'm going to say it up front and work our way around other texts. Being, quote, in the Spirit 
is not just a state of being, but also, or even more, it's a place. Could I say a location? Now, when you hear a place, don't think Florida. Think more that which may be unseen. Remember, before when I had taught on Paul speaking about the third heaven, he was taken up and saw things which he could not speak of. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul was caught up to this third heaven. Paul was taken into a place. Now, keep that stationary in your mind and add to it from John 4:24 which says God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. I think we could all universally accept that God is infinite without end. Think of God like an ocean with no end or boundaries. You can stay up toward the surface or you can plumb the depths of its undiscovered bottoms. So imagine in this ocean we are calling God, there is a place in a special place that contains things wonderful, mind-blowing, mysterious, and real. Before we, humanity, began to explore the natural ocean, those things that we now take for granted, reef, sea creatures, etc., they were always there, were they not? Before we began to explore it, they were always there, we just didn't know it. So what we know now is because we explored depths we didn't know before. The same is true for God. He is a depth that we can explore. And in doing so, we will learn of realities wonderful, mind-blowing, mysterious, and real. So coming back to that stationary thing in your mind that you added to, Quote, in the Spirit is a place, and God is Spirit. God is infinite and discoverable, or I could also say knowable. So I make the leap then to conclude that in the Spirit is a place of knowing. It is not confined to knowing necessarily in the sense of what can be relegated to the mind, though that is a part but more completely knowing God in heart, soul, and mind. It may be familiar to you, Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is to say the triune three-part knowing, heart, soul, mind. Heart is to say with all of your heart, that is to say complete and undivided, to love your, the Lord your God with all of your soul. That's your desire, your appetite, your, your very self. And to love the Lord your God with all your mind, that is to say the intellect and understanding. That is this three-part or triune knowing. The heart, complete and undivided. The soul, the desire, the appetite, the self, and the mind, the intellect and understanding. 
in the Spirit is knowing God in an undivided appetite with understanding. You see, this triune knowing is something that is already who God is. It is already His nature. He is and has an undivided or complete appetite or desire with understanding. This, however, is something that we get to discover of Him. This is part of our spiritual inheritance as his children. We are permitted to discover this. This is hard to comprehend as the frail humanity that we are, but without question, he wants us to discover. The wisest man to have ever lived, King Solomon, wrote in Proverbs 25 verse 2, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. God enshrouds something for us to search out and discover that is hidden in mystery. When you hear hidden, don't hear undiscoverable. Hear out of the general view, like a present that is wrapped for Christmas morning. God is glorified when something is hidden from the common gaze, but our honor to inquire through the mystery and find that hidden treasure. Has God ever given you a taste of a revelation, but it was just a morsel which left you eager and interested, and then what seemed like hiding himself in a cloud of unknowing, almost as though he is playing hide and seek? Read for yourself sometimes Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 2 through chapter 6, verse 10. You'll find there a bride who is seeking her groom. She, she is looking, she is desiring, but not finding him. Then the two are delighting in one another, being reunited. It's a wonderful picture of this intimacy between bride and groom of seeking and finding. God is glorified when he invites you to seek and you are honored when you search him out. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Notice that's a promise. Seek and you will find. Now, I don't want to contaminate this teaching with too much detail. I do want your, the imagination of your heart and mind to soar in this particular teaching. But I do want to read a few scriptures and invite you on a journey to discover, if you're willing. Luke 1.17, speaking of John the Baptist from the mouth of an angel to Zechariah, he says, He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He, speaking of John the Baptist, will go before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, Jesus reveals in Matthew 11.14 that John is the Elijah who is to come. Now, John the Baptist and Elijah are two separate people, we would both agree, but 
Remember our understanding of in the Spirit to mean a place of knowing. This can help us process that John, who would go before Jesus, quote, in the Spirit or in the place of knowing and power of Elijah. The last verse I want to highlight in this teaching is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, which says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Remember, John the disciple is writing the book of Revelation, and most scholars note that it is while he is exiled on the island of Patmos. The voice John hears tells him to write what he sees in a book and send it to seven certain churches. So John was, quote, in the spirit and heard a voice. Being in the spirit or a place of knowing permits access to experiences, encounter, and learning. Then in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, it says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So here, in the Spirit, John saw a throne and one seated on the throne. So John saw. Remember before he heard Then in Revelation chapter 17, verse 3, it says, And he carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Here John is carried away and then into, and he sees something. This into... I find to be indicative of depth and penetration. He's carried away and then in two. Then lastly, in Revelation 21, verse 10, it says, And he, that is one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Here, John is carried away and to a place. Notice it's not into. It says to a place. This to, I feel, is indicative of visitation. So he's carried to a place and sees something. We get to see into these four encounters by John that he is taken in the spirit, the place of knowing, into encounter that transcends space and time. It transcends space because he should be on Patmos but encounters these experiences. It transcends time because it is, quote, what must take place after this. It's Revelation 4.1. So it's regarding a time to come. That's a future tense. So here, John's in the spirit 
was a place of knowing that transcended space and time. So, too, does God transcend both space and time. Space and time do not confine Him nor limit Him. He, God, existed before time and space were created and therefore operates outside of its confinement. So, what exactly am I proposing to you? To consider that in the Spirit contains more than just the notion that the Spirit of God is in me and you as believers. God, being Spirit, is without limit and thus operates in the Christian's life in a manner that goes beyond our imagination. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That word think could mean conceive or possibly realize or understand. So let me say that again with those um, components. Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or could conceive or possibly realize or understand according to the power that worketh in us. If we have compartmentalized the power of God that works in us to what we can imagine or understand or have realized, then we have short-circuited God's expression tangibly in our lives. What am I trying to do with this teaching? I want our capacity to imagine and dream of what is possible in God to exponentially increase. I want your wildest dreams of what is possible to expand to bursting and then increase beyond that. If you can daydream it, then Ephesians 3.20 tells us we are already thinking too small. Why is this important? For the days that we are heading into, you need to know your spiritual inheritance in God through Christ by the Holy Spirit. Why is this depth necessary? Because some people need an invitation into the more of God. Surface Christianity isn't going to work in the days to come. We need to explore the depths in God so we may be more effective and anchored so we are not tossed about, led astray, and can do more for Jesus than we ever dreamed was possible. This teaching, despite what you may think right now, is practical and not just conceptual or deep. This is an entry point into possibility. Lastly, this is not the end-all definition of in the Spirit, but it is a component to the infinite mystery of the infinite God who desires to share His depths with His beloved body. Amen. Let me just have a word of prayer as we conclude this episode. God, I thank you. I thank you for your power 
at work in each believer's heart and mind. I thank you that your word can accomplish that which it sets forth to accomplish. I pray that you would increase our capacity to imagine, to to exceed our hopes and dreams of what is possible inside of you. I pray that a desire would be birthed in each one listening to explore you to a depth they've never known or dreamed of. I pray that you open our eyes to what is possible. The things that seem impossible May they become so common that we can't even imagine life before them. I thank you for those listening. I pray that you would bless them and and just stretch their capacity to know you more. Birth in them hunger and desire for intimacy and nearness and proximity to you. I thank you in advance for what you're doing through this and through others who have a heart burning for you. May you invade our the deepest places in us, and may we surrender it all to you to give you praise and glory and honor. Increase our imaginations and our hopes for what is in you. I ask in Jesus' sweet name. If it means Amen. that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.